This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. On the phone with me today is my go-to person for gun issues, Dr. H. Sterling Burnett. He has been with the Heartland Institute out of Chicago since 2014. Prior to that, he was with the National Center for Policy Analysis for a number of years, I think probably 20 years or so. That's when I knew, I first met him back in the mid-19s, early 1990s. Uh, Sterling is a graduate of Southern Methodist University, and he got a master's and a Ph.D., uh, in philosophy from Bowling Green, uh, Bowling Green State University, and uh, he is joining us now. Sterling, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on again, Merrill. Sterling is uh, Sterling has had a long time interest in guns. He is an expert on these issues. He typically writes on environmental policy, but he could just as easily, or perhaps better, write on gun issues because he knows these things so well. So you heard what uh, Joe Biden said about what he'd like to see from uh, gun legislation coming through Congress. Um, let's let's start with that. He's he wants to say these are common sense reforms, and he wants to. Try Try to get some of these things passed. My guess is he's going to have some trouble with them. But uh, what about the background checks? Where are we on that? Congress has been talking about this for well, some time. I was about to say he, he he sounds like he's breaking new ground here. He wants to make it sound like that, but in models, uh, none of these proposals have uh, are new. They've all been around. I mean, remember they they implemented an assault weapons, a so-called assault weapons ban. They're not really assault weapons. Uh, by the military definition of the term, mm-hmm. they're not fully automatic weapons, um, but they implemented that under uh, Clinton. That's not new. <laughs> that's, that's three. That's, that's three presidents ago. Uh, uh, four presidents ago. So uh, he's not breaking any new ground here, um, and it's not clear whether any of these proposals would be constitutional. You know, anything he did. Even if he gets it through the legislature, uh, will be challenged in court, and none of it will have any effect on crime. So uh, it's it's window dressing. The Democrats, uh, at least uh, a majority of them, the leadership, have long been in the bag for gun control because they don't care about the Constitution's First Amendment. They don't care about the Constitution's Second Amendment. They don't care about property rights, the Fifth Amendment. Um, it, it, so. I suspect uh, his first proposal was uh, all-new gun sales, all-gun sales, uh, background checks. Right. So we do have background checks now to some extent, don't we? No. Most gun sales are covered by background checks, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter where they take place. If you buy a gun from a licensed dealer, um, you go through a background check. Most guns are sold through licensed dealers, whether it's at a gun store or a gun show. It doesn't matter where. Licensed dealer sells it out of the back of his car. If he's a licensed dealer, you go through a background check. What he's trying to regulate is private gun sales. I transfer uh, – if I had a child, my grandfather transferred guns to me. I have to go through background checks to get my grandfather's guns. My neighbor wants a gun, and I've got one. He wants to regulate that. Um, it's not clear to me – where he thinks they get the authority. First off, these aren't interstate commerce things right here, uh, so it's not clear 
where the federal government gets the authority to say, if I want to transfer a gun to my neighbor, uh, I should have to go through a background check under interstate commerce. It's not clear where constitutionally uh, they are, the federal government has granted that power. Um, this is, you know, they initially targeted something called a gun show loophole. They said, oh, well, people are buying guns at gun shows. Most dealers, most people at gun shows are actual gun dealers. Mm-hmm. So most of those sales go through backgrounds. But some people, look, some people get old and they want to get rid of their guns. And so they, they, they buy a booth at a gun sale, a gun show, and they sell off their a collection. And he wants to make sure every one of them goes through background checks. Now, the real problem is who's going to go through this and who's going to undertake it? You can't, as a private person, I can't call up the FBI and say, look, I'm going to sell my gun to my neighbor. Um, so could you do, run a background check for me? They can't. They don't deal with private individuals. They deal with licensed gun dealers. So what he's really saying is every sale has to go through a licensed gun dealer. So I'd have to transfer my gun to a licensed gun dealer. Let's say I wanted to leave leave a gun to my son or grandson, give a gun to my son or grandson. I'd have to go to a licensed gun dealer and say, here's the gun I bought for my grandson. Uh, you buy it for me, and then you sell it to him. Hmm. I, I, I bought one gun it, it, in my – It issues a lot of – you know, it's, it's a lot of complications to private sales, which are a very small percentage. And who's not going to comply with this? Criminals. Sorry, I, I would buy a gun on the streets to commit a crime. I'm, I'm a felon, so I shouldn't have a gun anyway. But I'm going to go through that background check. Well, that was going to be one of my questions is uh, we've only got about a minute left, but uh, my sense is most of the uh, most of the crimes that go on with guns by uh, uh, are, are not registered guns or, or went through background checks. Is that correct? Well, that's correct. Most of them are either stolen. They're bought on black markets. The black markets aren't going to be regulated by this any more than black market drugs are going to be regulated, you know, are, are regulated. Uh, so this this will have no impact on crime. It only serves to complicate matters for law-abiding citizens, making it difficult for, for them to transfer their private guns to people, uh, whether you know it's a sale to a neighbor or to their own family. Mm. My guest for this hour is H. Sterling Burnett, Dr. Burnett. He is a uh, expert on guns. He's with the Heartland Institute. If you want to find out more about uh, uh, Sterling or the Heartland Institute, you can go to pointofview.net, and we have information up there and uh, contact information for him. So uh, when we come back, we're going to go through a couple more of President Biden's proposals for what he would like to see done. Uh, and, and this has one has to do with assault weapons and another putting more uh, liability on gun manufacturers. Uh, apparently, we want to we want to try to sue them if if somebody takes something that was made for one purpose and uses it for something completely different. So stay with us. We're going to be back with Dr. Sterling Burnett in just a minute. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, Christians are surrounded by a supermarket of worldviews, so it's not surprising that many have uncritically accepted many of these false views of reality. The Barna Group, in association with Summit Ministries, conducted a survey of practicing Christians to determine how they were influenced by these worldviews. 
What they found is that younger Christians, that would be millennials and Generation X, were much more likely to accept unbiblical worldviews than previous generations. And they also found that males were more susceptible than females by a two-to-one ratio. They found that more than six in ten of practicing Christians accept some ideas that are rooted in the new spirituality. They also found that more than a third of practicing Christians are sympathetic to some teachings of Islam. Apparently, these practicing Christians do not see how some of their views are illogical. For example, more than a quarter believe that all people pray to the same God or spirit. Praying to Allah, Krishna, or the God of the Bible would obviously be very different, but that does not seem to many of these Christians to be a contradiction. On issues of morality and values, many also differ from Orthodox Christianity. Nearly a quarter of them believe that what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. One in five believe that meaning and purpose come from working hard. A significant number also accept ideas promoted by socialism. Some strongly agree with the idea that the government, rather than individuals, should control as much of the resources as necessary to ensure that everyone gets a fair share, and others believe that private property encourages greed and envy. This survey is but one more reminder that we need to be teaching sound theology in our churches. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Go deeper on topics like you hear on Viewpoints by visiting pointofview.net, pointofview.net. You're listening to Point of View, your listener-supported source for truth. And we're back. We're talking guns this hour and President Joe Biden's proposal to for gun legislation. Uh, 1-800-351-1212, 1-800-351-1212. If you'd like to talk to Sterling, uh, Dr. H. Sterling Burnett is with us from the Heartland Institute, and we're talking about the gun issues that uh, President Biden has proposed, and also we'll be looking at some of the state issues. So if you have a question or or a comment for Sterling, 1-800-351-1212. Sterling, he also wants to address the issue of assault weapons and high-capacity magazines. I remember us having a major national discussion about this after the Las Vegas shooting, if I recall correctly, Uh, and, and of course, the bump stock issue there. So where are we on that issue? Well, like I said, once again, it's nothing new. They they actually passed an assault weapons ban. they did research, and they found that it had no impact on crime whatsoever. It did not reduce murders, did not uh, because assault weapons are used, so-called assault weapons are used in so few crimes. But when that happens, they're very visible, but sometimes they're used to stop crimes, and nobody wants to talk about that. When the, an assault weapons was used in a church here in Texas a couple of years ago, oh, yes. uh, several people were killed. What stopped that? It wasn't the police. It was a man, it was a private citizen with his own assault weapon that stopped that guy. Mm. Had he not been there, more people would be dead today. It's not uncommon. The funny thing is, the the whole assault weapon thing, we've had semi-automatic firearms for over 100 years. Um, military surplus firearms used to be sold. Uh, um, M1 carbines were sold. They're semi-automatic so-called assault weapons, even though they're only semi-automatic. You pull the trigger once, it fires once, not for firing. Uh, so it wasn't an issue. Very few people wanted them. Now, some hunting groups have pushed this for uh, hunting varmints, but the whole drive to own assault weapons came when government first started trying to ban assault weapons. 
when you try and take something away, uh, Americans are pretty suspicious of the federal government coming in and saying you can't own this. That's something you could own before. Because why? Well, because it's not good for you. People don't like that. So they started, every time they talk about banning assault weapons, they drive assault weapons sales. Well, they go through the roof. Now talk- these things are the most popular firearms being sold today. You've got to, you're going to have uh, uh, millions of these in private ownership. And what happens to those that are in private ownership already? Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because I've I've heard people complaining for the past I'm going to say six or eight months that you just can't buy ammunition out there, and this yeah. was before this was before Joe Biden was elected president. If I remember right, when uh, Barack Obama was elected president, National Rifle Association um, uh, applications shot through the roof. People started buying yeah. those things. I mean, it's it's almost like if a Democrat is in, you want to go buy the stock in the gun companies uh, or the ammunition companies is because they seem to be doing really well at that time. Yeah, I remember there used to be posters at gun stores uh, of Barack Obama, National Gun Salesman of the Year. Uh, <laughs> I suspect we'll be seeing those posters with Biden's face on now. Um, you know, like I said, the, mo- the more things change, the more they remain the same. This is not a new proposal. They've done it before. It had no effect on crime. If it's not going to affect crime, if it's not going to reduce murders, if it's not going to end up reducing deaths, then what's the use? Well, you're left to wonder. If it doesn't do that, then why is government trying to do it? And it's about control. And that's what people don't trust. When the government just wants to control you for no good purpose, and the the research shows there was no good purpose, then why? Uh, So you have more assault weapons being sold than have ever been sold before, simply because they don't trust the government because they think, it, you know, they know it's no good purpose. It will have no impact on crime. Why? Why? What, is what, it, what, it, what it does do, what it does do for the Democrats or for, for those in power is it's one more step down the slippery slope of uh, what they used to call, you know, complete gun control. Mm-hmm. We want registration for everybody in the United States. Uh, we want to control, you know, and expand the number of people who are banned from owning guns. It's easier to do if you've taken one class of guns out of ownership. If you've registered everything else, if you say every sale has to go through uh, a, a federal gun dealer, so it, it's it's a dangerous precedent, and it and worse worst of all, it, it's no good for crime. It won't do anything. So the shortage for am, of ammunition was uh, was around before Joe Biden was elected. Uh, yep. why, why is there a shortage? You, I would have thought that the gun manufacturers would have said, or the man, ammunition manufacturers would have said, we've got a market out there. We've got to step up production. Well, you know, I can't explain all of it. I know under Obama, they had part of a shortage because there was a shortage of brass. Mm-hmm. Um you used to get a lot of used right. spent brass that was reformed into ammunition on the private market. But uh, Obama stopped allowing uh, brass, used brass to be sold back to the market. So, uh, uh, but I don't know if that has anything to do with the shortage now. It's just more and more people are buying. Look, gun sales have gone through the roof. It was a record last year. It was a record last year. And it's a new market because 40% of the gun sales, it's my understanding, i, I haven't seen all the federal data, but it's my understanding that 40% of the new gun sales last year were to, if not first-time buyers, they were to women and minorities. So that's a growing segment of the market. Mm-hmm. Now, what's this response to? Uh, it was response to 
uh, lockdowns, fear? Uh, could it have been response to the fact that uh, public officials were saying we got to get rid of the police? Well, anyone knows if you say defund the police, you're saying crime's going to go up. And, of course, that's precisely what happened. When you have riots on the street, some shop owner, some small shop owner who sees his, his building trashed and burned to the ground, and the police don't show up, or they show up and then they leave without arresting anyone because they've been told hands off. We don't want to. We, we don't want to make this worse. Well, devices, and even if you never owned a gun before, you might own one now. What What about uh, Joe Biden's third proposal about eliminating immunity for uh, certain crimes that are done with guns? Well, now that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he wants to. Um, he wants to basically allow uh, attorneys general and private parties to sue gun shops, uh, not gun shops, gun manufacturers mm-hmm. for the guns that they sell. We, we, we say what you will about tobacco. It was a legal product that people used. Uh, it's addictive. And so it's got one mark against it that almost every other legal product doesn't have. But we have a problem right now in this country where – Oil companies are being sued for the cost of climate change. Now, I've, 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 I know people at Exxon. I've bought products from probably every oil company being sued. Not one of them ever stuck a gun to my head and said, buy this product or else. Um, we buy it because it's useful to us. We put it to use for transportation. Yet they're being sued everywhere by cities and states who use their product for the damage they claim it's doing to the climate. Well, stop using it. Then it does no damage, right? But that's not what they're doing. They want to continue using the product, but then they want the big pockets. Well, with gun makers, uh, back in the late 90s, uh, some lawyers got uh, an idea, let's go for the deep pocket. Let's sue gun makers for selling guns, for making guns, because they're using crime. It's like suing a car uh, manufacturer because... I uh, I drive a Chevy and I ran over somebody. Uh, let's sue Chevy. And uh, I, I, not for defects, not not for defects, mind you, not because the products don't work properly or blow up in your face or something like that. That's a different. That's product liability. They want to sue them just for putting a product on the on the on the street that some people use to commit crimes. My guest for this hour is Dr. H. Sterling Burnett. Uh, he is with the Heartland Institute, and we're talking about the various proposals that uh, uh, President Joe Biden has uh, suggested for gun legislation at the federal level. When we come back, we're going to talk about at the state level, because a lot of states have looked at uh, imposing more and more restrictions on guns, and I think even cities have as well. And, Sterling, let's go to Mark in Alaska, and he's got a question. Mark, you're on the air. Go ahead. Uh, thank you. I appreciate you guys uh, uh, addressing this subject. Um, in Alaska, we enjoy our firearm privileges and rights and, uh, you know, to go hunting and to defend ourselves and so forth. And, you know, the, the old saying that uh, um when seconds count, the police are only minutes away. Well, in Alaska, it might be hours away or days away. And so, you know, people do need to uh, have the ability to protect themselves when they're far from 
uh, uh, the law enforcement that would normally be there to protect them. And that's for Alaska, and I realize we're unique in that way. Uh, but there's rural, rural areas, you know, all throughout our country as well. Um, uh, I, you know, we are thankful to God that we have that codified in our Constitution, the Second Amendment, to protect our rights. But really, it's a God-given right. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about love always protects. You know, that's something that God has established. It's not our U.S. Constitution a couple hundred years ago. This is something God told his people you know, love always protects. That's an important aspect of love. And so uh, that's one thing. But the, the real question that I have for uh, you, Merrill, and, and your guest, I uh, wanted to know in any current legislation, is it true that uh, they're trying to, some of these anti-Second Amendment legislators, congressmen and uh, uh, senators are trying to make it unaffordable for the average guy to own firearms and ammunition by putting um, heavy taxes on them, as well as requiring an insurance policy that costs $800 in order to be mm. a firearms owner. Good in question. To registering and so on. So, is that are some of those rumors true, or is this just more? you know, stuff that's floating around the Internet to, you know, get people stirred up. Sterling? Well, I can't speak to the uh, tax. I mean, I can't speak to the insurance issue. That might be contained in Sheila Jackson Leaf. I'm ashamed to say that my home state uh, turn, turns out a legislator uh, from uh, named Sheila Jackson Lee, longtime legislator from, I believe, Houston area. And uh, she has uh, proposed one of the most serious gun control bills out there. And uh, they have in the past, and I, I think this is in Sheila's uh, bill, it, uh, and some states have looked at this too, uh, imposed taxes on ammunition and firearms. I think in California they wanted to impose a tax on ammunition that was greater than the, than the cost of the ammunition itself. So it would be more than double the cost of ammunition. And, of course, uh, that doesn't affect the wealthy elite who pass these laws. That affects the average Joe. And, of course, that's who they want to control. It's, the elite always wants to control the, the average folks, whether because uh, whether for their own gain or because they're paternalists and they think they know best how everyone ought to live, and you're not responsible enough to, to, uh, to know how to control your own life, so we're going to do that for you. And so they impose taxes that are, uh, are regressive and hurt the poor. They would uh, take away your ability to purchase ammunition, not by making it illegal, just by making it too expensive to do so. Um, so that's probably the taxes might be in Sheila Jackson Lee's bill. I don't know about the insurance. Um, the thing about both Biden's uh, proposals, his requests, uh, they have to get through Congress. The Second Amendment is a pretty high bar to get over. Um, he's going to try and get laws passed through Congress. The House, there are probably enough votes in the House to pass it. Um, you may get a couple of Democrats break away. Uh, you may get a, Repo a couple of Republicans to support some of these gun control proposals. 
Uh, but there'll be enough votes in the House. The question is whether he can get it through the Senate. And, of course, if, if, that's very doubtful unless they get rid of the filibuster. Uh, there's not enough votes in the Senate to pass this stuff. Thank you, Mark. Um, but certainly what he brought up was an interesting point because – Congress can go it can do things directly and it can do things indirectly yeah. and and one of the indirect ways it might do that was to say we want you to have for lack of a better term personal liability insurance uh, on uh, on your guns to make sure that if somebody gets harmed uh, you know there's liability coverage that helps them and of course you know we have uh, this, I think virtually every state uh, 47 of them anyway I believe require liability insurance on your car it can be a fairly big expense, but most of us pay that because we've got we feel like we have to have a car. Uh, we might not think that much about with guns. So, but you you could if you put in a, a fairly expensive some type of liability insurance if you own each gun that you have, you could essentially make it unaffordable, not because of the cost of the gun, but because of the insurance. Well, let's be clear: guns and cars are two different things. I've read the Constitution. I've never seen the, the word car truck or vehicle anywhere, arms is protected by the Second Amendment of the Constitution. It does not have a qualifier in there that says, and it must be insured. <laughs> it ain't in there. But let, so, me, well, let me ask you this. That would be a harder road to hoe. And and, it, and even if they pass the liability insurance, I don't see how it could be per gun. You, you, you own guns. Uh, remember, states pass the laws on cars and trucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would have to be passed at the state level. Federal role has no uh, role in telling you uh, it's you in a state. You must insure your guns, and on a per gun basis, as opposed to a household, uh, I, I carry liability. Um, I, I think it's a very different thing. I don't think they can get away with that. Uh, I know certainly it would wind up in court, and uh, that's. It is a backdoor way of gun control. Now, what they could do is a taxes. Now, remember, we this would have been academic, I think, before uh, Obamacare. Mm-hmm. No one could have imagined before Obamacare the federal government could tell you, you must carry health insurance, mm-hmm. and if you don't, we're going to force you to pay for a, a government plan because you're going to be covered one way or the other. And then the federal, uh, you know, the Supreme Court, uh, with Roberts being the deciding vote, said, Oh, it's a tax, and so that's okay because the federal government can tax. Right. Well, they they could try and do that with guns as well, right? Um, you must carry insurance, and if you don't, you have to pay this fee to to carry the to pay for the public health care cost of uh, of people harmed with guns. I guess they could try and do that, but you know, Obamacare was I don't know twenty twelve. And passed in 20, 2010 and went into effect in 2014. Well, and so it's, so it's 11 years later, we're still uh, debating it, and, and the individual mandate finally went away. So um, I, I think that would be a tough road to make. But you, they could raise taxes. They could raise taxes. They've, they've got a tax on guns now and ammunition now, and uh, they could uh, they could do that. We've got a little. Um, we've got a little over a, a minute left in this segment. How much you you mentioned uh, the difficulty in getting some things through the Senate? How much of this might be able to be done by executive order? Well, I think he's going to try and get a lot done with executive order. What they could try and do is classify uh, any magazine over ten rounds or any any semi-automatic assault weapon, uh, assault rifle, uh, certain mechanisms. They could try and reclassify them 
as covered under the act that uh, regulates machine guns. So for every assault weapon you own, you got to pay a tax. you got to go through an FBI background check. They can try and do that. That's how they did bump stocks. That's how they've done silencers. Um, I just think it's going to be a heavy lift, no matter how they try and do it. But through executive order, it's even more um, tenuous because executive orders are not laws. Technically, they're supposed to be mandates uh, from the president directing federal agencies how to act, not individual people how to act. Yes, and of course, Barack Obama dramatically increased the uh, elements of uh, of executive orders, and and we were writing at the time that uh, that's going to come back to haunt you because a Republican's going to be in sometime, and and uh, Donald Trump did a number of executive orders. I don't know that yeah. a lot of them had a had a big impact, but they're that seems to be the way they want to go rather than moving through legislation. One eight hundred three five one one two one two one eight hundred three five one one two one two. If you'd like to talk to Dr. H. Sterling Burnett and our final segment we're going to uh, look at what states are doing when we come back uh, because states can uh, impose a number of laws as well and it varies uh, depending so stay with us where we'll be back with uh, sterling burnett in just a minute and we're back with our final segment with dr sterling burnett of the heartland institute so sterling we've been we've been promoing this but we haven't got to it yet what are some of the states doing on gun regulation because they can be i i, I guess as bad as the government in trying to uh, restrict our rights well they can be worse than the federal government because they have more leeway under the constitution technically the second amendment was only applied against the federal government Mm -hmm. now it has been more recently through concealed carry laws the supreme court expanded that and and applied its protections to some extent against the states but this is interesting let's let's talk about this for a second because it's not that so many states are enacting stricter gun laws, though there are some, what's happening in the states is a backlash against federal regulation. That's the dominant theme there. Hmm. We've had two states in the last month that have uh, passed what's called constitutional carry. I think there's 18 states now that you're allowed to carry a firearm. If you're you're a legal person allowed to own a firearm, you're allowed to carry it without a concealed carry permit. Two Mm -hmm. states joined that, Utah and Montana. Other states are considering it. You've got a number of states and certainly a lot of counties and cities that are becoming what are called uh, sort of a mimic of the sanctuary city for immigration. Right. Well, they're becoming Second Amendment sanctuary cities mm. or sanctuary counties. And what that means, uh, in some cases, it's just a resolution saying we're, we're in favor of the Second Amendment. You shouldn't pass more laws. But in other situations, it's much more um, uh, legalistic. They say that if the federal government passes new laws, their law enforcement in their county or their city is precluded from helping enforce those laws. So the FBI or the ATF couldn't come to you and say, hey, we've got a warrant out for the arrest of this guy because he owns a gun that we didn't, we say he can't own under these new laws. Uh, could you go pick him up? No. Sorry, we're precluded by law from helping you. <laughs> and uh, the Supreme Court precedent There's not enough federal agents in the world to go door to door as they would have to do. They they need the help of local law enforcement to do these things. Um, So these cities and states are passing. We will not enforce federal laws. That's that's on you, buddy. And some places they've gone even a step farther, Uh, at least one place in Missouri. They've said if a federal agent comes into our jurisdiction and tries to enforce a federal law, 
that we think is unconstitutional, we'll arrest the federal agent. Now, my suspicion is the supremacy clause would be quickly used right then to overturn that. Uh, federal agents are allowed to enforce federal law. But the courts have held uh, in a gun control case that you may not co-opt uh, state and local law enforcement for federal purposes. So they can't make them enforce um, federal gun control laws, any new ones. Let's go to Peter in Maine. And uh, Peter has a comment. Peter, you're on the air. Thank you. My comment is rather just, I, I'm, I'm listening to the radio, and one of the things I'd like to say is that I'm really very sick and tired of for either Barack Obama or Joe Biden talking about assault weapons. They don't look at the good thing that um, an assault weapon can do if you to protect a thousand or eleven hundred people or more mm. in church. Yes. And the other the other thing that I have to say is that um, why don't they spend more time looking after criminals and executing them? We don't execute enough people here in the United States because if they started to execute people left and right, premeditated murderers only, they would, they would slow down of the crime. Okay, thank you, Peter. Let's get a response from Sterling. Well, I'm, I actually am a supporter of the death penalty, and uh, it's been delayed for far too long for too many instances. Um, I don't need. We, I don't think we need to start executing left and right. Uh, but I will say this: you know, the federal these laws about assault weapons—they're not assault weapons. They're semi-automatic firearms that have been around for a century, and they want to regulate arms that are in normal use. Why? Because they have characteristics that make them look like a military weapon. Mm -hmm. Well, that's like. Uh, I have a kit car that looks like a Corvette, and we're going to ban kit cars. <laughs> you can, you can, someone can own a Corvette, but you can't own the kit car that looks like a Corvette. Well, that's what assault weapons are. They look like, with, I mean, that's what how they define them by characteristics that make them look like something the military uses. But that doesn't make them military firearms. They're not. Those are already regulated by federal law. And let's go to George in South Carolina. George, you're on the air. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I've heard from some reputable sources, and I read in my NRA publication uh, just this weekend that the CEOs of the ammo companies say they're producing ammo as quick as they can. But, you know, they, they usually most stores get deliveries twice a week. And this was in the uh, NRA magazine, and they say within hours of getting a delivery, everything is gone. Mm. The shelves are bare. So they, they, you know, in the seat, the people in the ammo company say, yes, we're producing just as fast as we can. People are, you know, hoarding ammunition just like they're buying guns left and right. Sterling? Well, I'm 100% sure that's true. Yeah. I mean, you know, during, during the uh, recent coal spill here in Texas, you couldn't find milk, water, or anything on the shelves. After COVID, you couldn't find toilet paper. People are doing the same thing with guns and, 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 and ammo. And this, you know, that's going to be one of the really difficult things. If they pass any of these laws, like the private transfer of arms, so many guns have been bought and sold or traded between private individuals for so long, there's no way of knowing 
if they started it today, there'd be no way of knowing whether a particular arm that I owned was sold before or after the law was passed. Mm, that's right. It, 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 it would be – they're talking about passing laws that are basically impossible to enforce. Mm. Thank you, George. Well, uh, Sterling, in a couple of minutes we have left, take, a, take 30 seconds or so to tell us what people should be considering. Is, is there anything we could be doing out there? As, as individuals. Well, I'd, I'd say I'd say go to your legislators and, and tell them you want to constitutional carry here in Texas. Uh, you want Texas to be a sanctuary state uh, for the Second Amendment. Mm-hmm. That there should be no question that we're not going to enforce unconstitutional uh, additional violations of our gun rights. Um, and you know, not just in Texas, but that I, I would go to every state legislature and do that now. Let's be honest. In some states, that's not that's going to go over like a lead balloon. California's not going to pass that law. Right. Massachusetts, New York, they're not going to pass those laws. But there are a lot of states out there, and if enough states revolt, uh, say no, no more, uh, I think even Washington would have to listen then. Mm. My guest for this hour is Dr. H. Sterling Burnett with the Heartland Institute. We've been talking about guns. If you want to find out more about uh, the Heartland Institute or Sterling, go to pointofview.net, and we have uh, information and links there. Thank you so much for joining us, Sterling. Thanks for having me on.